This is episode number one of the Truth Is Allowed podcast. Our guest will be John Umuna, the lucky one, the first guest. I'm very excited for this, guys, and I think you're going to really enjoy the show. Welcome to the Truth Is Allowed podcast, the show where great leaders from all sectors share with us the truth about their happiness and success. Here, you will learn how to shape your mindset and perspective to win in business, relationships, and life. Get ready to hear what you need to hear, because the Truth Is Allowed podcast is about to begin. Today's guest will be John Umuna, a former boss and great friend of mine. John describes himself as a Christian, an entrepreneurial educator, and a social scientist. He's a graduate of accounting and management and has spent the last eight years working within post-secondary institutions, leading, mentoring, and learning from students all around the world. John is an analytical problem solver who enjoys uncomfortable and truthful conversations. In this episode, we discuss the lessons of being an immigrant, we discussed how to lead people to follow you and how to solve problems in an effective way. I hope you enjoy it. John Umuna, my friend, yeah. welcome to the podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to have you here in the show. This is the first episode, man. <laughs> I feel honored. I feel honored. Numero uno. Yes. Numero uno. <laughs> Congratulations to you and to me, to both of us, for sure. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. This is exciting. I like it. It's exciting. It's exciting. So just for everyone listening and tuning in, welcome. Just so you know, John has been uh, a former boss of mine for how long? Was it two two years? Yes, it was two years. Yeah. Two years and a half, I think. Yeah. And uh, immediately when I met John, he almost became a friend of mine right away. Mm -hmm. Like we, we clicked immediately, I think, because of the way we, we both think. Um, mm -hmm. And after that, it was just it was just history. We we would have just crazy long conversations uh, after, or during work. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking many times and telling you as well, we have to record this. Like there's yes. no way we're just talking about this and, and that's it. You know, yeah. there has to be a legacy of this. Absolutely. So I'm Absolutely. glad. I, I remember, I remember uh, some of the first things that we did. Even I, there was a, at some points that I remember when we would disagree, even though I was a supervisor then, we would disagree on the points. And it, it's just interesting how um, we will be able to walk through those disagreements and still come to an agreement at the end of the conversation um, without anybody leaving, uh, walking away from that conversation, feeling like I wasn't heard or this person is un unreasonable or this person was unfair or this person is, you know, this person doesn't listen. I just, I, I enjoyed that conversation, which for me, it was, uh, it was an easy go-to and it was an easy pick on that I can pick on you most times knowing that if you don't like what, I, what we're talking about, you we will dialogue and we will, we will, you know, hear each other out, express ourselves in a way that we can have very, very meaningful conversation. So I think that's where it actually came down to like, man, we should record these conversations, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Let other people be a part of this and share these things with other people as well. So, so yeah, I'm excited to be here. You know, like I said, the first, you know, to be, to be interviewed, I'm honored and um, I'm excited that you're doing this for of sure. Of course, of course. As well, John, you uh, recently got engaged as well. So congratulations yes. for that, man. 
Thank you. Thank Amazing. You. That's good. I hope that since you are my first guest in the podcast, I'm your first guest to your to your wedding. Just saying. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. I w- I will keep that. I think uh, the zero zero one invitation would now go to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. The plan worked out. Everything worked out. So just to to give people some context on on who you are, you're from Nigeria. You came yes. to Canada. When did you come to Canada? I came to Canada in 2012, July 24th, 2010, sorry. July 2010. 2012. And yeah. you you landed in, in London, was it? Uh, Montreal. I landed in Montreal. Montreal, Montreal. Quebec. Yes. Montreal, Quebec. Montreal, Quebec. And then tell me a bit about your journey as a student. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which schools did you go to? How was, John, the transition from literally going from Nigeria mm-hmm. straight to Canada? Mm-hmm. You know, and people think... As soon as they think about Canada, they immediately believe they just the snow image comes to mind. Cold, yes. minus forty, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right? <laughs> but but even the context from like coming from a different place to a whole new different place on literally everything's different. So yeah. how was that transition? How did you adapt up to the point to where you are right now? Yeah, I, I'm probably going to start off with uh, my my journey which my actual journey which is actually flying from home i'm from nigeria back uh, down here um i remember it's it's the longest time i've been on a flight uh my my flight from london so i flew from nigeria to uh, amsterdam then from amsterdam i flew to montreal my flight from amsterdam to montreal was a long flight and um I remember being extremely cold in the plane. So I have never felt that cold in my entire life. Like in the plane. We're talking Nigeria where the temperature is like 16 degrees is too cold for us. <laughs> so I was on the I was on the plane for so long that I could not warm up and they gave me this skinny looking blanket and I was still shivering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not properly dressed. Again, I was coming um, in the middle of the so-called summer for Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, why is it so cold? But long story short, I landed in Montreal. Uh, my sister happened to be in Kingston. So my sister had come with her family to pick me up from Montreal. And it, it was such a warm welcome just coming in after flying for hours. I, I was on my journey. It was about 19 hours from when I left home to when I actually got to Montreal. Then Montreal to Kingston, where oh my, my sister God. lived, was another three-hour drive. So I was literally almost for 24 hours, I was just... Um, kind of moving on, on the yeah. road, but it was it was so comforting to see a familiar face mm-hmm. uh, when I got to the airport. When I came out of the airport, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, we I could not fathom how much we had to drive from Montreal all the way to Kingston, which was about a three-hour drive. And I was like, "Why is he so far away?" She was like, "No, it's not that far." And I was like, "Are you kidding?" So you know, that's some other things where kind of playing into into the, the whole scenario. Then going down to going to school. So I went to St. Lawrence College. Uh, St. Lawrence College is a college in Kingston, Ontario. Um, I did accounting. I studied accounting. It was a three-year advanced diploma in accounting. Mm-hmm. That was my program. I remember going into that program, never having taken any accounting course. And it was, uh, it, yeah, I was just blown away. I, I chose the program because um, it was a business program. So I have a business mindset and I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Mm-hmm. I run a few businesses back in Nigeria. Maybe we could talk about that later on, or maybe it could be another conversation for another podcast. Look at me, I'm inviting myself already for another show. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you marry again, you know I'm the guest number one again, right? 
yeah. <laughs> who knows maybe number one of another edition or another version of this this whole podcast i like and, it i like the idea yeah share, share uh you know what have you done in terms of a business perspective mm-hmm. but yes um Anyways, I, I, I kind of looked at some of the programs that I could get into and the business program at St. Lawrence College stuck out for me. I, I wanted to do that program. Um, but I, I come from a tribe where mm-hmm. uh, in Nigeria where we're considered businessmen and salesmen. So uh, when I got into the business program, I had three options I had to pick from right away after my first class in the first week. Mm-hmm. It said you have to, oh, four options actually. So the first option is you can go into the stream of being um, just general business. So it's a two-year diploma, just general business. Mm -hmm. Second option is you can go into the advanced marketing diploma, which is a three-year program. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you can go into the human resource diploma again. It's another three-year program. Or you can go into the accounting uh, program, Mm -hmm. which is another three-year program. So all of this program, the diploma in... uh, accounting, marketing, and human resources also had a two-year version. So it was just, those ones were considered a diploma in marketing, a diploma, those are two-year program. <clears throat> but the advanced diploma was a three-year program. So I remember going through all of my classes in the first week and I realized that, man, I don't think I want to be in human resources. Like they were only just talking about, they were talking about a lot about people. And I did, I felt for, at that point, I didn't really understand it. And I was like, Man, I don't think I want to really deal with people the way human resources was. Mm-hmm. How how was so, your English then? Oh, came terrible! Like my accents, you couldn't even understand what I said. Yeah. So that alone in itself just made me know that. Did you think you had a good English when you came here first? Uh, I think I had a good written English um, in the sense that I learned English uh, very well. I learned the structure of English in in Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, but and I felt. <laughs> I felt I was fantastic in speaking when I came here. When I got here, <laughs> yeah. When I, I got here, I realized, yeah. When I got here, I realized I was not as good as I thought. That there is a lot of learning to do in terms of uh, just context, in terms of pronunciation. And I must say that you know, growing up in Nigeria, learning English in Nigeria, mm-hmm. we we learn with the uh, we learn the Britannic. English. So the British English is what we learn. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things that are in terms of context mm-hmm. that we we could, words that I could not relate to here. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of many of them, but in terms of uh, pavements that they will call sidewalk or mm-hmm. uh, what they call this thing here. I just if I, if I remember them, I can just chip them in. Yeah. But some words that I just could not remember, I could not pronounce, or I could yeah. not get the meaning of this word. So mm. um, I had to relearn some of those things, okay. and it was it was a journey. And I had to learn how to communicate in terms of mm. prioritizing how I spoke, mm-hmm. uh, how I pronounced my words, and uh, being constantly corrected by my peers or my uh, colleagues or even just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go through that part of things as well. Of course. Now, John, why did you decide to leave Nigeria and why Canada? I'm guessing Canada because you had your sister here? Yes. Okay. So my sister was a huge influence on my coming to Canada. I think uh, when I decided to leave Nigeria, I decided to leave Nigeria only if I would go to school. So like I said, back home, I was running. Um, I graduated from high school, applied mm-hmm. multiple times for post-secondary institution, didn't get in. 
um, it, it's, it can be competitive to get into a secondary institution in Nigeria, mm -hmm. um, especially if you are picky. So I was very picky. I wanted to go to, I had like two schools in mind that I mm -hmm. wanted to really get into, not because they were the uh, best school in the country, but then I felt that they were the best school in the country, just in my, my point of view. And so I really wanted to get into them, not get so not getting um, the opportunity to go to them. I just started uh, business. So from one business to the other, I started a second business. And I was running all of them simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So when I decided that I'm going to leave my businesses, uh, the comfort of my income and, you know, the luxury of being a young entrepreneur who was fairly successful at that point in time to go anywhere, I just felt that I will be going to better myself. And, okay. you know, the secondary education would be something that I would do. Now, my sister had a good influence to making it Canada and making it Kingston. Kingston. Um, but I, my second option was definitely Sweden. So I was so I had applied for a lot of schools in Sweden. I wanted to go to Sweden so bad um, because of also the quality of the Swedish education is extremely high. Yeah. I don't know if you know that, but yeah, Swedish Sweden does have a good um, quality of education as well. So that's interesting, John. What you're describing pretty much is you had pretty much everything like you had mm -hmm. businesses you had your family there you were young mm -hmm. you had somewhat opportunity as well by com and then you decided to drop it and say i'm going to go to the to one of the coldest places <laughs> on earth and start from zero pretty much right so yes it sounds if you explain it like that to someone that likes to conform with whatever they have it sounds like a stupid decision but yeah i would have done the same so I want to ask you, how, how do you think that? Like, how does your mind work in a way mm -hmm. that you say, okay, I have everything, but I want more and I'm willing to start again from zero to get that. How, how does that process work in your yeah, mind? Yeah, so I, I think for me, the, the greatest eye opener for me was uh, I had a, uh, someone I considered a mentor then. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy was very, very educated but he was a very good business guy as well. So I didn't know he was very educated because I knew that he owned businesses. And um, I used to always, when I was starting my business, I used to always kind of chat with him. I knew him from kind of our small community in church. And okay. I, I used to always talk to him. He, so he was a role model. He was a mentor for me. And um, I remember one day he said something to me. He said, why don't you want to go to school? I said, what was the point in going to school? Like I can grow a business that I can hire graduates so why do i need to go to school mm -hmm. and he said you know what education does for you and this has stuck with me it's been what 15 years now he said you know what education does for you i said what does what can education do for me it said the reason why people go to school is not so that they can get get that fancy degree it's just so that they can be able to think critically through problems mm -hmm. uh, and i never understood what he meant by that i was like are you serious i even with because I'm I self taught myself a few things back then in Nigeria. I was reading a lot of books. I would read about philosophy, human anatomy, like anything, anything. I would read anything just to educate myself again because I wanted to be able to have conversations with those educated friends that I had yeah. without feeling left out, okay. even though I was not as educated as they were. So yeah. I would self teach myself anything. So, but I, at that point, I didn't understand what he meant by that. But later on. When I started grasping what he meant, that was what made me make that move in the sense that I can be comfortable here, but there is a, a level of, of comfort that I have that can keep me in one place and I become a local champion. Um, okay. 
Uh, and I, I use the word local champion because that's something that stuck out with me in my dad's um, path in terms of my dad was a businessman, he was an entrepreneur, okay. he ran his business. And for the longest time, um, one thing that we always say to my dad is that if my dad ever um, ex expanded his business by uh, going because a lot of Nigerians, when they want to expand their business, they go out of the country mm -hmm. and they start importing products from mm -hmm. a different country to sell something different. Mm -hmm. um, my dad had every opportunity to do that, but he never took that opportunity. Okay. And uh, I remember the people that my dad trained that took that opportunity, those opportunities, um, when I was growing up, became much more successful. Okay. So I learned that that you know. There could be opportunities out there, but if you stay where you are and you're complacent, you mm -hmm. could be missing out in a lot of opportunities. So mm -hmm. when he said that, and I, I said that, okay, I'm going to move out of Nigeria for something more. Why didn't I go import so that I could go that extra amount that my dad hasn't gone? I said, you know what? I will go to school because of the fact that I felt every day in my business, I was encountering a different problem. Now, if this guy says, education teaches you how to think through problems critically i think i want to have that mm -hmm. with the with the business iq that i had already okay that's actually brilliant that you say that um because you're not focusing on the degree itself like you're mm -hmm. not focusing on the end goal you're focusing mm -hmm. more on in the process i would say of how to solve problems right yes. Yes. now for the ones who are listening john is the the director of the residents of the dorms of a local university here in, in Vancouver. So I'm going to ask you, John, as much as you can answer. All right. Yes. If there's any, I, I that... am the manager. I am not the director. I am the manager. We don't have a director yet, but hopefully when we get, they'll make me that, <laughs> that person. <laughs> well, but aren't you the director already or they haven't formalized that it's, position? It's a manager position. Yes. It's a manager position. Not, the not manager position. So that he's, he, but to be honest, guys, he like, he manages over 300 students himself and a team of 10 students that support him so you know what i think the manager <laughs> title is even small but anyway um you know the reason why i say this is you've had this job already for for mm -hmm. uh, at least in this institution for a couple of years you had it before as well in, in another university before you came to vancouver and yeah. if i were to describe that job in one single sentence would be to solve problems absolutely okay so absolutely. it's interesting what you're mentioning do you think that coming from a place like Nigeria, which I would say, same as Venezuela, has a lot of problems, like way more <laughs> problems, many more problems than Canada, to be honest. I almost feel here people look for problems. Like, I, I need problems. Can I go somewhere and get problems? Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that origin built you up in a way that, first, you're not uncomfortable when you have mm -hmm. problems, and number two, you have the right mindset to solve them or to seek to solve them? Yes. 100%. Um, I, a lot of my upbringing, a lot of my structure, a lot of the values that I know today yeah. um, was because I lived in Nigeria. And mm -hmm. it was because of, like you said, this this problem. I don't look for, we, I run away from problems. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in the contest, maybe not just in my daily life here, mm -hmm. I see uh, people make, pro they create problems here as opposed to in Nigeria where you run away from problems because there's problems everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's, Yes, that's my, my, my background in Nigeria. Being in Nigeria actually laid the foundation for mm. my ability to, to see and identify problems and navigate my ways through it in a way that allows me to solve this problem mm -hmm. or take away something from that, from that situation. Okay. 
I see. Now, do you think, and I, I want to get into the, a little bit into the topic of victimization in, mm -hmm. in what I found uh, to be very widespread in a lot of developed countries. Okay. Yeah. So I found that there's a trend in society nowadays in which people are taking just the easier route. And there's a lot of valid arguments and points around it, but mm -hmm. I think that it's a slippery slope. And just to give you an idea, um, and it's something I felt as well uh, while I was working in, in, the, in the university world as well, mm -hmm. I was a residence advisor, right? So my job was to support the students in, in their time in residence mm -hmm. and in school yeah. with different problems that they could have, right? So mm -hmm. I always found, or in most of the cases, that students would have the opportunity, they would have the value, the resources pretty much within themselves to solve problems mm -hmm. efficiently. Yeah efficient yeah. all right yeah. like without almost like drowning in them mm -hmm. but i found that this mentality of hey it's okay to have problems it's okay to feel this way which is 100 valid would mm -hmm. almost like take over the solution mm -hmm. part of things right mm -hmm. so instead of dividing the problem in okay i have this problem i acknowledge it and then i solve it mm -hmm. most students would stay in that stage of i just have this problem i have to live mm -hmm. with it right mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on on this trend Okay, do you think it exists? Do you think universities have a role in it? What's the best way to detach yourself from, from that kind of uh, uh, thinking process? Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that that's, that mentality does exist. Um, uh, and uh, again, I, I would say that we are a product of our environments. And um, if you are in an environment, and I would say if you are in an environment where um, anything goes, or if you are in an environment where you, you're given everything that you ask for, I ask for this, it's given to me, I ask for this, mm. it's given to me. You have that mentality of um, it's easy for you to become um, entitled without even realizing that you are entitled. If you are in a situation where every time you ask for something, somebody says no to you, um, and you're always looking for ways to still get the same thing, you will appreciate something when you have it differently. So I, I'm not saying that, you know, the the victim mentality that you talk, like you uh, talk, called it, mm -hmm. is a wrong thing per se. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just saying it is a reality for, for some of them. They can't, uh, some, some people cannot think out of that. And mm -hmm. even in this setting here, uh, I have met, you know, having worked in post-secondary with students for over eight years now, I have, I will tell you, I've met incredible students that all their life they've lived in a small town in Canada and they don't have the same mindset as, certain, as some other students. So. Uh, it is a product of their mentality. I, I came across a student here uh, at Capilano University uh, well, last year who lived here for one semester in 20, uh, 2019, so September to December 2019. Mm -hmm. And the student had moved out in 2019. And in my conversation with the student, all through why he was here, extremely hardworking, comes from a very poor background, has nothing, there's no hope mm -hmm. for, for him, according to what he's explained to me, for him to finish his university because there's no funding, there's no money, there's nothing. There's no support from anybody. No family member is willing to, um, is able, not even just willing to support him. He has no role model to look at in his family. But this kid, I can tell you, man, I was blown away with the amount of work he's doing, the amount of things he was involved in, the amount of things he taught himself, the way he disciplined himself. He told me when he wakes up every day, what he did in the morning. And even for myself that comes from, 
um, you know, I've been working in this field for quite some time, and I can say that I have built up a level of resilience and resistance. Um, I took something away from him, you know, mm -hmm. with his consistency. And he said, he said something to me that I can't, I, it still resonates with me today. He said, I have to, I have to change my future. He said, I have to change my future. I can't, I can't just sit around me and just do so. Uh, do what everybody else has done before me, what my predecessors have done. Mm -hmm. And I can see that that mentality is not easy to come by. So mm -hmm. yes, it does exist. Yes, they have, it is the reality for some and it's not easily for the switch of a button changed. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, you are 100% correct that we all have within us the capacity, mm -hmm. the, the ability to be able to rise above a difficult situation. For sure. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think your answer is incredible because out there you find people that completely disregard the people that suffer from, from, from certain things that are genuine problems. And it's yeah. very easy to say, ah, like whatever, that's just, that's a stupid problem. Yes. But you're not inside that person, right? Exactly. Now, so you, you're, you're describing it in a very empathetic way, but also you're giving room to saying, Hey, there's actually an, an alternative. So yeah. what advice can you give to someone? who had the privilege to be born with everything, right? Because that's not mm -hmm. something wrong either. Like, let's, 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 let's make that clear. Like if you are mm -hmm. born in Canada and you grew up with all these amazing things that by the way, 99% of the world is trying to achieve, right? Achieve. Exactly. <laughs> you shouldn't feel yeah. bad or guilty of anything at all, Absolutely. not even your current mindset, but how can then you train yourself to even though having everything, being okay with saying, you know what, I can still overcome this. I can mm -hmm. still build a more resilient mindset. What what would you suggest to to these people? Uh, I, I will say mindset is very, very, it's very, very, it's key to some of these things. So every every battle is every battle, the, the victory of everybody is fought in the mind. So if you beat, if you defeat your mind, uh, that I can't do this. No matter the amount of resources you're provided with, mm -hmm. you won't be able to do the, do that. Now, again, speaking from uh, a lens of understanding the struggle that certain people go but uh, go through, that they cannot be able to bring themselves to the position to see the light at the end of the tunnel, mm -hmm. um, not because they are not for lack of trying, but because they've tried every possible thing to mm -hmm. see that light, but they can't. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at that and adopting that is, I will use myself as an example. Maybe I'm not a greatest example when it comes to the struggles that maybe certain people or students go through. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say for my own little struggle, what I do is if I get into a situation, um, I think of three things. The first thing I think of is that I have to, I, I tell myself, not think, I tell myself I have to adopt more like a beginner mindset. And that is in a lot of things. If, if I'm going into a role where I feel that, um, I, you know, I know a lot about this role. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going into that role and so maybe somebody, my supervisor is telling me that you're not doing enough or you're not doing good enough or mm -hmm. students are challenging me or, you know, all of those things. I, if I don't have a beginner mindset, I am frustrated. I feel that, you know, this person doesn't know. I, I feel like there's a need for me to prove myself. Mm -hmm. But the beginner mindset, what it does is it grounds me. And that grounding is what I need Gives first. You humility. Exactly. So once I have that grounding, I start looking at things around me saying that, okay, what can I do next? What do I, how do I make this person feel that 
you know, the matter or what they're saying is important, also uplifting them. Another thing that I do after I ground, after I ground myself with that beginner mindset, I start asking myself, I ask myself one question. In this current situation, what's the worst that can happen if the situation is the same way? I'll use an example. When I was, um, um, I think I was traveling to, I was traveling for, I went for a conference actually from work mm -hmm. uh, to Toronto. And on my way from Toronto back to uh, BC, I, I was stuck in traffic in Toronto, mm -hmm. going from my hotel to uh, the train station to catch the train going to the airport. Mm -hmm. I was stuck in traffic. And I looked at the distance, even if I walked, like it was nonstop traffic. Mm -hmm. Like even if I walked, I wouldn't be able to get to the train on time and I would most likely miss my flight. And in that situation, I was torn. I was like, this is a company paid trip. I don't know how to explain to my manager that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm missing my flight, even though I left way in advance. And mm -hmm. here I am calculating that I'm going to miss my flight. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, at that time I was, I was just, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was not happy. And there was just a lot of things going on. Now, the first thing I asked myself is that what's the worst thing that could happen? And I, I answered that question saying the worst thing that can happen is that my employer refuses to pay for maybe a new ticket or the cost of getting the next flight. Mm -hmm. Then I asked myself, if they refuse to do that, can I just afford that? And when I answered that question saying, yes, I can afford to do that, I just calmed down automatically. My fear, my anxiety, my anger, everything went from 100 to probably 10. Mm -hmm. So now my next thing was that, how do I get to the airport? And how can I get there anytime, whether it's on time or late? How do I get there? Because if I miss this flight, there's another flight in an hour that I can possibly catch if it's if there's room, how do I get there? So again, it's the fact that I ask myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? And that's the thing that I think sometimes when you ask yourself that, you now realize, can I live with the worst or can I, is it, is the worst thing that can happen something I actually have control over? Mm. And when you do that, it starts, that you're already building resilience right there. Mm -hmm. That's this problem cannot define me because the worst that could happen, I have control over that worst, or okay. I can't control that worst. Okay. So that's what helps me with, with resilience. And I think, you know, if students can start, or young people, and it's not just students, like I work with young people, I work with mm -hmm. students, I work with, um, like even like you're, you're no longer a student, but we still talk about everything. Yeah. We talk about anything and everything in, in a way that allows us to uh, look at the situation or circumstance where we are yeah. and say, okay, where do we want to go and how do we get there? Okay. That's, that's, in, it's, it's incredible because you are breaking down a problem that is a hundred percent emotional, right? Like when you're in that situation, mm -hmm. emotions take over completely and it's very difficult to act upon emotions. So what you're describing is almost like a mental system in which mm -hmm. you just rely on whenever you have problems, regardless of, of whatever the issue might be. And, yeah. and, and when you describe that, for example, now that I'm remembering my, my role uh, with you there as a residence advisor, we would have problems mm -hmm. from literally just food issues in the mm -hmm. cafeteria mm -hmm. to students, frankly, not wanting to, you know, to live. And we had to come up and be like, okay, how can I even support 
someone that I maybe don't know very well and try Mm -hmm. to convince them that they shouldn't think that way. Like they shouldn't Mm -hmm. think that they don't want to live anymore. Right. So how can you then balance? All right. Because it's, I understand what you're saying of, you know, relying on this mental scheme. Mm -hmm. What, what do you do whenever emotions take over? Whenever your ego jumps in and it's like, you know what, there's no way this is happening. Like I deserve this or whatever. Right. How do you take over rationally over your emotions whenever problems arise? Yeah. I, I would say that experience has taught me a lot uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how I behave around um, emotionally charged situation. Um, experience has taught me, you know, when you start doing something over and over again, subconsciously you build up that behavior that you might not even know that you have anymore. It just comes as second nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the fact that, like you said, housing is, especially student housing is where young students live. and. Basically, 90% of my job is problem solving. Like I'm mm-hmm. solving problems left, right, and center. Pro- I go into work not knowing what problems I'll be faced with for the day. Literally. I go into, I, I live work not knowing if I did the best I could to solve that problem or if there's more I could do. So it's just, it's a constant cycle of problem solving that has kind of built up uh, how I control my emotions in situations when my emotions are spiked. Now, sometimes I make mistakes based on emotions yeah. and uh, it's, it's natural, it's normal to, to, for that to happen. Um, but the, the good thing that I feel that I take away from my mistakes is the ability to reflect on them and say, can I do different in the next situation? Of if course. this situation, wait, if I get another, a second opportunity to do it for another student mm-hmm. or in a, for another colleague um, or for, even for, for my supervisor again, can I do it differently? Would I do it differently? Why would I do it differently? How would I do it differently? So those are the questions that I, I ask in situations. And one of the things that I feel that helps me do this is I stop sometimes and I think. And, and I think it's something that I don't know if people practice it. I don't think I've ever spoken to people and I say, do you actually just observe the moment of silence every once in a while? Like and reflect on things. I don't know if I've ever asked anybody that, but I think I do that in a way that it allows me to think broadly about certain things. I can take a problem now and I'm in the middle of doing 1000 things and I will stop what I'm doing and I will just think about that problem. Mm-hmm. Think about it in depth, think about solution, think about somebody that I know. Hey, what would Wizam do in this situation? What would Chad do in this situation? Mm-hmm. What, would, what would Dini do in this situation? So as I'm thinking about your personality based on what I know mm-hmm. and how I think you would take that problem, I might learn a thing or two, just role playing in my head how mm-hmm. you will react to that problem. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's not something, it, it, yes, it comes with experience, but also it, it's, it's also something that I, there's no one side, one should fit all kind of approach to it mm-hmm. but rather it's just acknowledgements of certain things and sometimes i take situations and i feel like man i screwed up in that situation mm-hmm. only for me to um come out of the situation i remember once speaking to a student who this was many years ago who uh was going through some difficult times mm-hmm. and i know i've had this conversation i've had a conversation with the students multiple times um, but this very day, this very day, I saw the students walk by and I, the, their mood, their demeanor, the way they carry themselves, everything just stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. 
and I went, I went to the student's door and I knocked on their door and I said, can I come in? Can I chat with you? And the students said, yeah, absolutely. Can I, you know, and I was talking to the students. I'm, I'm telling you, I had, that was a busy time for me in my year. And I was busy with so much. I had a lot of deadlines at that time. Um, we had a lot of things that was going on that I needed to get done. Mm-hmm. But I spent, I believe it was like an hour, 45 minutes with the students talking about everything and anything. And believe you me, mm-hmm. an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, 30 minutes of that was nothing. It was the last 15 minutes that a student got to trust me to tell me what they were really going through in the last 15 minutes. Mm. And that last 15 minutes, I was able to see that the students have, you know, they've deprived themselves of a lot of things. They shut everything off. And um, I left that conversation not knowing if I did the best for the students. But I remember when that student was, uh, was uh, it was many years later, mm-hmm. I came across the student. The student actually added me on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and they sent me a message and they said that, you know, if you hadn't stopped by my room that day, I don't know if I'll be here today. And this is years, we're talking years after. I still didn't know if what I did helped the students. I didn't know if what I did said it you know, resonated with them because, I, like I said, the last 15 minutes of the conversation was when they really talked about their problem and they shut off again. And I said, okay, you know, listen, I listened intensely for that 15 minutes. I did certain things. I actually proactively did some things for them after by mm-hmm. checking in, by following up, by trying to make sure that they got some things like the the aids that they called some friends, that some friends came to check up on them, you know, all of these things. Yeah. And so those are the times, those are the things that I say that it's not like I know how to handle these emotions. Yeah. Um, it's just with experience sometimes I will do, it's like a muscle memory, what comes and how it comes. And yes. I take care of it that way. And I hope that it's, it's enough for that students to get through that day. Oof, that's powerful, man. Mm-hmm. That is really, really powerful. And I think it brings up another topic, which is whenever those things happen, mm-hmm. And you think back and you're like, okay, I supported this process for this person to be better or even alive today. Yeah. It kind of like gives more meaning and purpose yes. to what you're doing, right? If it serves almost like like fuel, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It, it, it is those moments. Like I, I started off saying that I went to school for accounting. I graduated my accounting. I went back to school for business management, graduated that, and I'm working in housing. You know, so many, all my friends, most of my friends, colleagues would say, hey, you, why are you not working in accounting? You know, mm-hmm. I love accounting. I love, I volunteer for income taxes every year. Um, I would do income taxes for students. I would talk about finance anytime, any day. I would teach students accounting. Um, I love it. Um, but here I am working in a field that has to do more with problem solving, emotions, uh, uh, you know, rational versus irrational thinking yeah. and behavior. Uh, conducts you know all of those things but yeah. it's moments like this that make years of maybe stressful long days mm-hmm. what every minute of it 100 percent, man and it's you know what you are a weird mix and i say <laughs> this in a good way because I you study accounting you're definitely mm-hmm. an entrepreneur you're yes. studying right now your master's in in technology and business technology. right Yes. And you are incredible in terms of social skills. Like I've never met someone so just persuasive, but in a way that it doesn't come across as manipulation. It comes across as real empathy, real empathy, heavy. And at the same time, you're incredibly fit. Like 
I remember when I used to live in residence and I would work out and I would be sweating. Man, after an hour, I would be like, I'm 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 the freaking rock right now. And then I would see you walking around and then I would be like, in in when did you grow those biceps? Like, <laughs> you're working twenty hours a day. What are you doing? Are you solving problems? Are you doing pushes? What's what, what's this? <laughs> yeah, problems are heavy, you know. <laughs> Literally, man. Um so you are definitely someone that comes under the radar, but makes a huge impact for sure. Um, I, 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 I think a lot about you because I also identify with a lot of things you went through. Um, so one of the things I want to ask you is, and it's a topic that came to my mind ever since I come to Canada, since I came to Canada, I never thought of this when I was in Venezuela. In Canada, a lot of people could think of me as an underprivileged person. Why? Because I'm brown. I come from Venezuela. English is my second language. Um, I'm not white, whatever. As a black person, John, who landed in one of the most white towns in the world. Okay. And you still managed not only to succeed internally with everything you do, how healthy you are, how much knowledge you have, your relationships, etc., but also in your career. And I'm sure this is not even the 30% of the things you will accomplish. Mm-hmm. Is being underprivileged an advantage today? Uh, or even, do you consider I, yourself, I, did you even consider yourself underprivileged at some point? And if society did consider you underprivileged, do you think it's an advantage for yourself? That's a very good question. I do like the fact that you rephrased that question. Do I consider myself as being underprivileged? Yeah. I, I think... Um, and for those that know me, I, I don't even know if uh, my current employer, which is Capitano University, actually has, they know this or if people have noticed. Um, but I've been doing this for probably six years now in everywhere that I've worked. Even when I worked, I worked in accounting um, after post-secondary. I worked in, uh, in accounting, in an accounting company um, where we were. Uh, suits Mondays to Friday. Every day you go to work, you have to dress up in like actual dress clothing. Um, you know, I wear something traditional to, to Nigeria, so like a Nigerian attire every Friday, once every week. And I, I do that. And I remember once when uh, somebody had asked me the question, it, it was a funny situation, um, which the person was like, why do you wear this thing? What is this thing that you're always wearing? Like every time, every once in a while, I see you wearing this different kind of clothing. I was like, oh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a traditional attire from Nigeria, actually. Um, I said, in my country, and this is the joke, I said, in my country, I said, have you heard about Nigerian prince? And they were like, uh, oh, yeah, the scammers. Yeah, of course, I have heard about it. I'm like, yeah. In my country, I am an actual prince, not the scamming ones, the actual prince. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me not to forget that uh, and knowing that I am still a prince, I am, you know, I have everything. Uh, for me not to forget that this is a projection of that. So I am telling myself, yeah. hey, you are enough. Hey, you know where you come from. Hey, you, you, you belong somewhere. Hey, this is part of you. Your tradition is part of you. Um, the good thing about Canada that I like is the, it's, it's a place where everybody mm-hmm. other than the, um, the indigenous are immigrants. They migrated here one generation, 10 generations ago, um, something, someone who was born here, who is maybe Caucasian or black or or Indian or um, Asian was born here. Their parents might be the first generation that migrated here. Um, for me, I feel that I am my first generation and I would do the same for my kids. So my kids would be those people, those Canadians that were born here. Uh, so that reminder in itself 
never made me feel underprivileged. So that mindset made me know that you are you are enough. Mm-hmm. You are worth it. Like I and I will go kind of go back to my education. So my first accounting exam and mm-hmm. this one they even my teachers can also go and quote this. They can go and look at this because they will have my results. If they ever come across this episode, um sometimes when this episode is one of the most airing podcasts in the world, um mm-hmm. they can go and check. Uh, I remember in my first accounting exam, I, I was probably the third lowest in the class in the first accounting exam that I ever took there, the third lowest. And we're talking, I think I got like an 85%. Oh, I was the third lowest Jesus. in the class, which means every other person had taken that accounting in high school or the mm-hmm. other at one point in time, and I have never. So, and I, tr- I thought when I saw my result, I was so happy. Until they said the class average is like 93. I was like, what do you mean 93? So I'm below, <laughs> I am below the average. Christ, like, people in this country are super smart. They're all Einstein. I, I was like, exactly. My first semester, I was like, oh my God, I don't I don't belong here. Maybe I should take marketing. <laughs> maybe, I should do, maybe I should do marketing. That one I can sell. I, you know, it's selling. I'm already used to selling. Yeah. I can just sell myself. You know, I could, but I didn't stop mm. at that. Um, I remember the second exam and the third exam, I was the highest by the third mm-hmm. exam in the class um, uh, for, for, for the third exam. And my, so my professor then- the third is, lowest to the Lowest highest. to the highest person yeah. in the class then. And I remember my professor then, his name is Dave. He was a part-time professor that was working uh, full-time, but also teaching in the evening, teaching as accounting. He loved the transition and, you know, he would- encouraged me he he even he was one of the few people that kind of believed in me that he asked me to met to tutor my colleagues in the class like we will go to class literally we'll go to class would we'll listen to dave teach us something mm-hmm. then i turn around and tutor my colleagues that were in the same class that thing what that did was reinforce learning for me so again where i felt i was underprivileged or i could have taken that opportunity to feel underprivileged mm-hmm. I turned it around again. Maybe it was my Nigerian mentality at that time of resilience. We must survive. Wherever we go, we must survive. Maybe that was it at that time. That was the drive. Yeah. Um, uh, but I can say that I have never really allowed the my circumstances, you know, overtake what I'm part, what I'm capable of doing. Um, and and it's not an easy mindset. Yeah. So I have the days that I doubt myself. The place, the times that I walk into a room and I feel out of place. And there are times that I've walked into a room and I would speak and I would know that I was ignored, but that did not stop me from solving problems. That did not stop me from thinking through problems. That did not stop me from making contribution. And it could be something that I've I've grown the thick skin per se, um, which has not really allowed me to do that, to kind of settle with uh, its okay mentality. Interesting. Now, now was that process from being in the low uh, part of the table to the top three difficult or like how was that process in your mind again taking in context the, the circumstances international students yes. new uh you know you're you're pretty much alone a lot of changes how was that process yes um i would i remember the day i was going to write uh that final exam and um, I was going to school. I had studied all night, didn't go to sleep. 
like I was studying, I spent a lot of time. So the process was that I went back to the drawing board and I was mm. like, I can't, this accounting, I must learn it. I must learn it. I spent time learning, reading, writing, practicing. And I realized uh, for me, at least, I don't know about other accountants, for me with accounting, practice is the, was my mm. key. Like I have to practice it over and over again. I have to ask myself, understanding why I was doing this versus the method of doing it. It's the why. Once I understood the why, the method will come easier for me. All right. So, so I, I did. I did a lot of that. A lot of sleepless nights. A lot of nights where I went back to the drawing board. And because I felt everybody in the class was more intelligent than I was, I never asked. I wasn't bold enough to ask for help. Um, I just, I kind of internalized it and, but in beating myself up, I was trying to say, okay, at least let me stop being at the bottom. Let me get to somewhere in the middle. Um, with the effort I was putting in, I didn't know that effort was a uh, top of the class efforts, not a middle pack effort. Mm -hmm. So the level of my effort, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, so it was a difficult transitioning for me, just mentally wise and tasking. But I remember going to school, I think it was in, Either October or November, I was going to school, mm -hmm. and when I was leaving, I was I lived at my sister's. Then I would I took the bus to to school. It's a forty five minutes bus ride, mm -hmm. and I came out dressed in my winter jacket. Everything it was already getting cold. It was like October, and or November, and it started snowing. <laughs> my first snow. <laughs> Didn't know how to act. I was disoriented. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Do people go home? Do people stay home? What do I do? <laughs> I don't have a cell phone at that time. I didn't have a cell phone yet. So I couldn't call my sister to say, what do people do when it snows? <laughs> Will buses be running? Like I was disoriented, like right off the bat. So someone who was going to school to write an exam that they felt they failed the last time, this happened. I was completely disoriented. Hmm. But I, I, was, I went back home. And I kind of like went back home, used my, my sister's Wi-Fi, got back into my computer, looked up, what do you do? Do buses run when there's snow? Yes, buses run, everything. I saw pictures. I was like, oh, this is not even snow. Like this actual snow coming. Like this is just flurries, you know? So I went, I got to school and um, I got to school early, I think 15 minutes before time. So what I did was I used that time mm -hmm. to tell some of my friends the story. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to, relax myself. I wanted to give them something to laugh about. I felt it was a funny story. So I told them they all died laughing, like in a place where we had all come together to study, like a final crash session before the exam, everybody was laughing. People were like asking more questions and I was telling them, man, I didn't know I was, this was my behavior. And you know, people were just laughing. John, it's okay. You know, you could do this. It was a funny moment. But what that did for me was that it just took my disorientedness and brought it back to it's okay it's calm down yeah and i was calm and i went back into the exam so it, it wasn't an easy transition to get from there but i definitely say that if more up I, I would attribute it more to my because i was new to this country and i came from a community or a system where resilience was the order of the day yeah. and i felt i still had that in me like fresh of the boat i still had a lot of that to give myself Man, that's that's beautiful. And as you're telling these stories, it's impossible for me not to uh, relate. Yeah, relate them. You know, it's just it's just the truth. But what I also relate is that you could have easily just 
get yourself stuck on that stage of, oh, it snowed, I was so confused, I was nervous, I was anxious, I didn't know what to do. And you could just have stayed home and that's it, using it, using the whole context as an excuse or even worse, you could have gone to the exam already with the idea that you're too stressed with what's happening. Mm -hmm. You don't want to tell anyone because you don't want to be ashamed. You don't want people to think badly of you. And then you could have completely, you wrecked the exam with an excuse in your mind. Oh, all this happened. This is so difficult to be an immigrant. Yeah. But you took the whole opposite road. You said, this thing's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must have. Like, and, and then it ultimately helped you being more confident in, in having that exam, which is, which I find, I find, to be honest, just beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And I think you're right in, in the sense that because it's like, I remember uh, for people that don't know. So when Rizal and I were working together, we would have nights upon nights of conversations on anything and everything. We would start with talking about maybe a present struggle. Um, or we could start with talking about a political situation, or we could start with talking about a social uh, justice situation or a financial situation, anything, anything at all. The conversations would always spiral into a lot of things. And in, in many occasions, I said to Izam, I said to him that, listen, I see a lot of myself when I, when I came here in you. Like there's so many things that you do, your mentality, your mindset. And um, even though, um, I'm saying this now in the podcast, and I know that I've, still, I've told you this, on many occasions, it was refreshing for, to see someone that reminded me of how hungry I used to be about anything and everything. I wanted to dialogue about everything. Yeah. I wanted to know about everything. I wanted to see myself, like I wanted to take advantage of every single opportunity. Um, and, you know, I saw that in you. Uh, I, and when I was at SLC at St. Lawrence College, uh, there was no scholarships or bursary for international students that I qualified to, to apply for. Mm. Um, but I was volunteering everywhere, everywhere that I wanted to volunteer, I volunteered. And um, I applied for this bursary. I applied for different bursaries and scholarships in this university, in the school, the college, but I did not qualify. But I qualified for one. Mm. I qualified for one because they were looking for a Canadian that has contributed and given back to their community in multiple different ways. Mm. Now, it wasn't because of my academic standing, which I knew that I had a good GPA at that time. I was on the Dean's list after my first year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't for that. Mm -hmm. It was just from the outstanding commitment and contribution that I gave that, you know, a gift of time. I gave my time, which a lot of times people don't, don't do that. So that was my first learning that if you want to get something, if you want to lead, if you want to stand out, you have to give something. And if it's the gift of your time, which is one of the most precious things that we have, that once we give it, we can't get it back. Sometimes we're not paid enough for it. Mm -hmm. um, is that if you give your time in, in something that maybe you're not getting paid for, you're volunteering your time to help somebody else, you're volunteering your time in soup kitchen, it could open doors for you. So that opened those doors for me in a way that I qualified for this bursary uh, because of, on that ground, then I met the the uh, people that set up this bursary. I don't uh, what are they called? The donors that set up this bursary. I, I met with them, and even to date, they are like family and mentors to me because they they've had their own resilience. And again, they are uh, Canadians, born and brought up here. They got Caucasians, Canadians, and 
when I talk about struggles and they share their struggle with me, I'm like, wow, I haven't even gotten the tip of the iceberg with some of the things that people go through. So yes, some people might have it easier being born in Canada, but some people still go through a lot of things here, which, which is no much difference from maybe the struggle that I had in Nigeria that made me. Their struggle here also kind of defines that. And, and I think that it's interesting what you're saying because you're not comparing the problems. You're just, you're just explaining that they have a solution. And that's ultimately yes. it. Like yes. there is a time for suffering in life. And I don't think anything pretty, anything, any success, any achievement can come without a struggle or a suffering. Otherwise, why would it be so valuable if you, right? So there's, okay. there's, there's a very interesting quote. I, I'm not going to say it in the right way because I don't remember it well. And I'm not going to refer the person either because I don't remember him. But it's success is just the amount of life you're willing to exchange or sacrifice for it, right? Yeah. So I think what you're describing comes to that. I'm going to share a story with you. I think I already shared it, um, but I think it's it's beautiful as well, which is yeah. after a year in Canada, um, I was, it was, it was 10 months after I had arrived to Canada. I was depressed, man. I was very confused. I, I, I was really convinced I had made the wrong decision for several reasons, yeah. just career-wise. I was in a job that I was not happy. I was in a Mexican restaurant um cooking burritos and, and I, I i loved it but it was obviously not my passion i was having issues housing issues as well when you immigrate you have to move a lot from place mm -hmm. i'm not used to that in venezuela you you go to a house my man you're spending the next 120 years there yes. <laughs> here i found myself moving almost every four months and i was like i can't handle this i was starting already to think to going to different places um my money was not enough. The situation in Venezuela at that time, 2017, the inflation was reaching a million percent high, the highest already in the world then. And my dad told me, listen, I can't support you anymore with school. I really can't. For my dad to say that, that's when I was grounded. Like I, I, I hit rock bottom. I was like, holy shit. You know, when you realize you're on your own. And I remember yes. I went to work out in this gym, beautiful gym, by the way, in a community center, 30 minutes in, man, I was burned out. I was like, I, I'm not feeling it. I was not even sweating. And I was like, there's something in me that doesn't allow me to work out right now. I just can't. So I go upstairs to the lobby, depressed, John, depressed, sad, really defeated. Okay. And I look over the window across the community center. There's a football field, turf field. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I'm like, oh, and there's some kids running. I'm like, oh, there's probably a team training there. Turns out there was a camp. This was September. And I'm like, oh, I'll just go take a look, right? I played soccer all my life back home mm -hmm. in Venezuela. I coached for several years as well. Soccer is definitely one of my passions. I go there. I start looking. I see this guy go in between stations on the soccer field. And I say, okay, he's definitely the manager or the coordinator of this thing. I call him. Hey, coach, just a second. And can I speak to you? Um... His name's Mike, which he will be invited in the podcast soon as well. I introduce myself. I tell him who nice. I am. I say, hey, listen, if you ever need somebody, let me know. Here's my contact. He's like, hey, you know what? We're actually looking for people. Uh, send me your resume. This week, I actually was skimming through some um, uh, documents that I had in my laptop. I I came with to the to the resume. I was like, oh, this is the resume I sent to Mike. Awful resume, by the way. Like the format. 
was shit. I was like, Jesus, how did they even give me this job? Terrible. Uh, not the content, but just the format. It was the war dog awful. Well, man, it turns out a month after that, I was hired by this club called North Vancouver Football Club. They were paying me three times more than what I was earning in this Mexican restaurant. Shortly after that, I got the job in the Capilano University residence, which gave me free housing and meals as the compensation. Mm -hmm. And I was having a high paying job at my age that would allow me to pay for school. So literally in one month Mm -hmm. from thinking I was completely done and over in Canada, I, I failed, I had failed. My life had completely, completely switched around and I started going up, literally. It was almost like a market crash for my life in which I could not have gone any lower and there was only room for growth, right? So I tell this story now and it sounds very, it's just a story. But back then I couldn't see across it. Back then there was a wall in front of me saying, you're not going to make it, right? I think life eventually, if you're patient enough, if you have the right perspective, which is what you're describing pretty much, you'll find ways to go around that wall. I noticed there's just a whole paradise in front of you of opportunities. Um, now, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy. There are going to be times in yeah. which you will just think you're done, I feel. And, and, and what you're describing, that emotional intelligence of, of thinking, laying down back when you're describing about, when you say you have to think about things, you have to take the time and think about problems. Yes. That's huge. I had never done that in my life. I had never sat down to think. I would always think as I was doing stuff, I woke up out of bed, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm doing stuff and then there's problems and then I try to solve them on the go. But I had never purposely sat down and be like, okay, I'm going to start thinking about how to solve this and put all my energy to it, right? Which is what you're describing. Um, I had never done that before and it turned out to be just a great tool that would shape my mindset in the right direction. Um, I want to ask you about how you handled the pandemic in a personal level, and in a career level. Um, I was still working in the residence before I graduated in August. And in the summer, we had to go through a pandemic. We were, correct me if I'm wrong, the only housing institution open or operating in Vancouver during the pandemic. Is that correct? No, uh, SFU was operating as well as mm-hmm. uh, UBC. During the summer as well? Operating. Uh, yeah. Okay, which by Starting the way, SFU and yes. UBC are the two, if not, biggest universities in BC. BC And I understand as well, you don't have to confirm this, but I understand that not every department in the university was willing to operate and you were always very lenient and and just strict with your thoughts, which was like, I want to continue going. Um, How did you manage, number one, to challenge every thought and belief of this is not doable, because it's the easiest route. We just can't do this, mm-hmm. okay? And how did you manage to convince people to follow you during a pandemic? Like, there's no bigger excuse than a freaking <laughs> pandemic to say, I'm sorry, I'm out. <laughs> um, I, I think for for me, it's um, I'll, I'll probably first answer the question of how did I uh, convince people and uh, kind of beat the no, we can't do that. No, we can't do that mentality and uh, roadblocks. Um, you know, the pandemic was such a unique situation that there is nobody, there's nobody with their wealth of experience and knowledge and everything that is living today that would tell me, 
hey, I have lived through a pandemic before, so I know exactly the recipe of how to manage people or things or situations or circumstances in a pandemic. There's no one in our universe, in our world today, that would say, okay, maybe there's still some people that lived through this uh, Spanish flu that are still alive today, maybe close to their, in their 100 years old, but they're not leading a team right now that would say, hey, I led a team then and I'm really leading the team right now. So for me, that was the first thing that I can, I can again, it's kind of going back to what's, what are the things that I can control, what are the things I cannot control. So I, I, I took that into consideration saying that nobody, everybody's learning. Uh, so for me, I was learning. So when I got a no, we can't do this, or we shouldn't do this, I'm thinking or asking what is the reason because I, it was a teachable moment for me. So I was... I was adopting, again, back to my philosophy of a beginner mentality. Hey, I'm new to this pandemic thing. You might have more experience than I do. Can you tell me why we can't do this? And, and I realized that when I was talking to people as to the why, that's, that was the problem solving that most people don't mm -hmm. go through. So they, they just see the policy and they say they know and that's it. But it was incredible for me that I, I worked with my colleagues here were actually those that we think through the why. So I was fortunate enough to have people that I surrounded me that I was working with that would listen to that why. And can you okay, give an example? why are we doing this? Why? Yes. Yeah. Can I go oh, an example? Um, I, I would say, all right, faced with this, we have to shut down our, our dining hall. How do we manage that? Mm -hmm. Students still have to eat. How do we manage that? It's not like we have to shut down our dining hall so students either go and start ordering food mm -hmm. or we have to still keep our dining hall open and violate the, the rules of the BC Health Authority. So it was, how do we manage that? We have to shut down our dining hall for in-person dine, in dining, but we still have to keep the dining hall operational because students have to eat. Mm -hmm. How can we do that? So it's in the how and the whys that just working through that. So that was one of the ways that I got people. I was able to kind of navigate my ways through it. And 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 I say that I again I say this that I had allies. So now if in terms of uh having to allow people to work with me or bringing people on board, it's explaining the why okay. to people. Okay. So and a good example was the residence advisors, like you were one of those people that I, I had to tell you why we have to continue, mm -hmm. why we had to continue programming for students that were here in the pandemic, mm -hmm. why we still had to get students excited about our events, even if some of them were online, mm -hmm. why we still needed to connect with students. So I was giving you the why. And for me, I felt that if I can explain that why to you, mm -hmm. you will buy into my idea of the reason behind the action. Yeah. And again they, it's it's a no-brainer when you buy into that if people disagreed with me i would listen um and i i try to listen sometimes i don't know if i listen all the time but i try to listen mm -hmm. again it's just for me it's always thinking through problems i don't and sometimes i'm faced with a problem mm -hmm. based on the restrictions of what we can do and what we cannot do what do i do I don't take on that problem alone. I bring that problem back to the team saying that, hey, this is, I'm faced with this problem. Can we think of a way to navigate this? These are the uh, barriers that we have. These are the health things or restrictions that we have. Is there a way we can still do something around this? I wish, and I say this very respectfully, but I wish that a lot of policymakers had that same process to make decisions. Because I feel that 
and I'm not going to get into this too deep. I don't think, I think the, the podcast has been amazing. The episode, I don't want to get into this negative, you know, <laughs> but I think yes. policymakers around the world, around the world yeah. would mm-hmm. jump into that conclusion of let's just, let's just do this regardless of whatever the situation is, instead of breaking down the issue, like you're describing pretty much and finding how and why, when you're describing why we should operate in the in the summer doing a pandemic mm-hmm. which which i supported partly because that was my home right like if the residents closed i had nowhere else to go was mm-hmm. because you would explain as well what are we supposed to do with international students that cannot li- that literally cannot go home cannot go anywhere right yeah. when you would explain that the like it would be impossible not to support it even if one could be at risk of getting the disease you know, yeah. like there was no way we could just leave international students, myself included, hanging out of the bloom because we were too concerned. So mm-hmm. I think you managed very well how to explain the why in a logical and empathetic way up to the point that people would be willing to sacrifice the comfort of also saying, you know what, I'm out, which was understandable for a lot of residents yeah. advisors as well that left the job and they were like, listen, I'm going to go home. Yeah. You know, zero judgment to them. But I think the power that you had to convince people to lead you and trust you was 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 definitely like very, very, very powerful. So I want to ask you now as well about this time during the pandemic, okay, in a more personal level. So okay. I find I've never known myself more than during the pandemic. Really, mm-hmm. It was really during the pandemic that I said, well, I'm, I'm starting to learn things about myself that I didn't know before. And it's because we were literally thrown into this deep hole in which we, we didn't know how to handle, like you're describing. Like, who of us have lived a pandemic? That's not, yeah. like, when did the Spanish flu happen? 70 years ago or something like that? More? Yeah, yeah more than that. I think it was 1908 or so. Imagine 100, 120 years ago, right? So I found that I would be incredibly self-aware with my rational thinking, but not with my emotions, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel sometimes my mind would take over my brain and I didn't know how to navigate that up until now that sometimes I'm sad and I just identify the sadness instead of saying, instead of looking at life through that sadness and saying my life sucks, I would just say, you know what? I'm happy right now. This sucks, right? Yes. How did you navigate that? What did you learn about yourself during this pandemic in a personal level? Yes, um, I think for me, I learned uh, basically exactly what you just explained was we're all thrown into this situation. And um, and for me, it, it showed me how much, uh, how much resilience humans have. Hmm. Everybody, even though, even people that's, you know, normally would view the the world from a negative lens. Mm-hmm. They resisted the the situation when they locked down. People stayed home. People, some people rebelled, but they did what they needed to do. And people people started. So that that for me was one of the first realization: how much resilience, and how much, how much we all have resilience in us. Mm-hmm. And again, I started this conversation with saying that. Sometimes you are a product of your environment. Uh, when everything was good and dandy, everybody's a product of, hey, I need more of this. I need more of this. I need more of this. 
when the pandemic hits and everything was restricted, everybody was a product of like, it's okay not to have more of this. So we are, uh, we are. So I learned that in a very good, in a way that allowed me to say, okay, so I could do this. I could do this. I can do this. Um, But again, it didn't, I I also learned that, you know, when when the pandemic hits, for example, I would say the pandemic hits, it was negative. Some people, many people lost their lives. It was sad for some families. Most families were impacted. I know some families that lost loved ones uh, either to the pandemic or to other diseases during the pandemic, which any deaths at all during the pandemic uh, in general is sad. Talk more mm-hmm. in the pandemic when people dying has almost become a norm. Like there's announcement of deaths every day. Literally, statistics tracking that yeah. becomes a norm almost. Yes, it's kind of normalizing that tragedy that, you know, can be a life-changing thing for many people or had always been a life-changing thing for many people in the past. It's kind of normalizing it and almost numbing our sensitivity to it. Mm-hmm. Now, with all of that thing being said, I was able to say, okay, with everything going on, how can I, how can I build, what can I do? What can I do differently? Mm-hmm. What can I do differently? How can I build myself? How can I better myself? Um, and I started doing things, throwing myself into uh, my my job in a way that I have never done before, which is taking on more responsibility and doing something more. Um, so I was doing that. I, I in the pandemic, which again could be could have been a bad year for many people in so many ways. Um, there's certain things that I was able to to kind of do this year. I think one of my first and greatest accomplishments was to see. Um, all of you guys graduates um, to see Dini become the valedictorian and graduates and you know Dini is working today um, to see all of you guys every single one of you guys. Dini by the way is one of was one of my colleagues as well and she um, was a senior residence advisor so she would manage all the residence advisors and she would report um, to John shout out to Dini as well we love you continue John. yes Dini, Dini, you remembered in this podcast. Um, so it's like kind of going back to uh, all of you. So my first joy was that, you know, all of you. So there was uh, the, all of you that were here, uh, even though maybe during, during the summer, you're all working in a pandemic when people are not able to find jobs. You guys are working. Yeah. For me, that is that was one of my happiest moments. Um, I might have contributed one second or one minute or one percent of to that, but I am happy that you guys got that. In the pan- so that was my first thing. In the pandemic, I was able to I got promoted to my current role mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Uh, uh, in a pandemic, I, I enrolled for a master's program and I got accepted and I started that in a pandemic. Yeah. During a pandemic, I, I got engaged in a pandemic. So you know all of this thing, I could have sat back and said, it is a pandemic. I will not do anything good. Yeah. I will just stay put and wait till the world reopens. I could have done that. Mm-hmm. But again, I said, you know what? Because of I could see how much resilience everybody around me had in them. I was like, wow, we actually have a lot of resilience. Mm-hmm. So I challenged myself. I said, the year 2020 would be remembered for the pandemic and the things that's the, you know, the bad things that happened. I want something positive to happen to me in 2020. That was just my goal. I wanted one positive thing. And at the, when I made that decision in the summer, I believe it was around July or August, I knew that, okay, even if for nothing, 
I, I most likely will get engaged this year. So that would be my one joy. Mm. Then I got accepted to the master's program that I had applied for. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Then I got promoted into this position. Like, oh, another thing. Here we go. Mm. So, it, but one thing that I realized is that one good mindset started a domino effect of everything good happening. One bad mindset could start a domino. It could. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying if he can do this way in a positive way, he most likely can do it in a negative way. That is so powerful. I'm telling you. <laughs> and, and I agree with you. I think, and not only that, you also successfully managed a market crash because like, you invest in the stock market. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> you laugh, eh? But yes. part of your 20 hour workday, you still <laughs> manage to keep track of your stocks and invest in yes. yourself only without uh, any, yes. any broker or anything. You, should, you, you manage your own money. And I think you've done it successfully. So that's another thing as well to throw into the mix of the pandemic. I think I will remember 2020 as the year in which I knew myself. I met myself for yes. Because as you said, I think it allowed, it was an experiment, man. Like if this is a simulation, Yes, it works. It's it's a simulation. Let's just assume that <laughs> we live in a simulation. If this yep. is a simulation, the pandemic was an experiment to think to see how would we react. Little humans in the globe, how what are they going to do? Let's just throw a pandemic and see what happens. And what you're describing is exactly that. It's exactly how everybody had the opportunity to see how their dominoes would take effect. You know, uh, in 2020, for example, I. My net worth was multiplied by 10. Literally. Yep. I went yep. from being broke, not poor, broke. I think there's, they're different. <laughs> to being okay. Like I, I was not surviving anymore. I'm not surviving where I'm living. I'm asking questions, yes. etc. I went from finishing university. I graduated. I met amazing people. I started a job in which literally two months in, I was able to speak to the CEO and have conversations yeah. with key decision makers. I was able to... Man, there's just so many positive things, right? During yeah. a pandemic. So I think this, yeah. this establishes a precedent, not only in, in humankind, but also in our minds in terms of what are we able to accomplish, mm -hmm. even though we're not even aware. Yes, absolutely. And if there's one thing that I would leave there, kind of like, a, 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 kind of like an advice for, for people out there, young, old, mostly because I deal with young people. So I always like to say young as our students precisely, whether young or old, is that, you know, we need more role models. We need more, we need more mentors. We need more role models. Just like you told your story about some of the things that how you found yourself, how you discovered yourself in the pandemic. You tell the story about how, you know, you went from uh, a time when you were already stressed, didn't like what you were doing, didn't like your situation, didn't like your job, and your parents just dropping that bomb on your lap saying, financially, we don't, it's not that we don't like you. It's not like we're abandoning you, but we can't. And having that conversation for a parent, just think of it for a parent, if, for a parent to have that conversation with their child who is not with them in a foreign country saying, we cannot support you anymore. It's, you must have torn your parents. You must have broken their hearts. You must have broken your, like you could, anything could have happened. You could have gone both ways. You could have started, you know, doing anything. Mm -hmm. 
just yeah because you were and 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 you know what and i'm i'm willing to bet on this which is if i hadn't had that challenge i wouldn't be who i am today i'm 100 yes. sure there will be a piece in my brain missing that i have today just like i'm sure that if you didn't have that snow scenario the first time you saw mm -hmm. it or you wouldn't have gone through really rough patches in your life you wouldn't be who you are today i'm a hundred percent sure yes that. so i think it's important that and just following up on the advice that you're giving to people that if we don't have a challenge in our life big enough for us to be transformed even if it's if it's tough and and harsh and just uncomfortable at the time we have to actively seek for one yes. you don't i'm not saying you have to go and give your money away and go live under a box mm -hmm. but actively look for ways to challenge your beliefs and your habits and just the way you see the the world i used to think i'm i i consider myself as a very good debater i'm very good at debating and sometimes i'm able to defend things i don't even believe in okay like i can find logically certain pieces and arguments john that i can be like okay i can use this to my advantage even though i know it's not even true mm -hmm. so this is a double-edged sword because a lot of times I would literally unconsciously trick myself. I would be 120% sure that this is the right call. Like there's yes. no other way. This is, this is what's right. And yeah. sometimes that's only your truth, but it could be also another person's truth as well. Yes. Right? Yes. So, you know, truth is not only one, there's a reality for different people. I think the important thing is just to actively seek for challenges and situations in which you can broaden your perspective and you also thicken your your skin. Have you read about David Goggins? I have. Well, not read about him. I've heard about him from you a lot. Yeah. So this is a guy. He he went through a very rough patch in life. I'm not going to tell his story now, but I, I mm -hmm. advise everyone to buy his book. It's called Can't Hurt Me. He went through child abuse. He He's a black person who who grew up in a very racist neighborhood as well in the U.S. He joined the military. And after literally just consuming huge amounts of suffering in his life, he became not only a happy person, but a person that daily um, just uh, demonstrate himself that he can achieve huge things. Mm -hmm. All the way from running literally like 100-mile marathons to um well doing that almost every day or every week right and, and and exposing himself to suffering so if i were to ask you john what is the main thing that you can remember and if you, if you want to take time to think about it take it mm -hmm. what is the one thing in your life okay that just clicked and made you say holy shit all this suffering, everything I'm going through, all this nasty stuff happening in my life mm -hmm. has a purpose and it's worth it. Mm -hmm. What do you think that, time, that that experience would be that you said, you know what? Life is fucking beautiful. I hate it, but I love it at the same time. I want more. Give me more. <laughs> Give me more. I'm hungry for more. Huh. That's a very good question. I don't know if I can sincerely answer the question by justifying the one moment. Um, but I, I can say that there is, there's been a few, there's a few moments that come to mind um, for me. 
And uh, one of those moments where uh, I, I believe when I, I'll probably say when I graduate, before I graduated from my uh, first degree, so in accounting, before I graduated from that, um, I was working, I, we have this co-op that you have to go do for one month. Um, it's a company of your choice. So I got to work with this accounting company and this co-op was supposed to be unpaid. Um, I believe I had started this co-op not knowing that I would get paid. Um, so five days into the co-op, I was called in by uh, two of the managing partners and one of the, another manager. And they had a conversation with me as to kind of say, what are your goals? What do you want to do? What do you want to do after school? You know, all of these things. And after that conversation, they kind of, I was, I was shaking. I was like, oh, these people hate my work. They're just about to fire me because I've been asking too many questions and everything. And they said, uh, I think at the end of the conversation, long story short, they kind of hinted that they don't really bring in students from colleges for co-op, but that have been very impressive. So that's, they want to stop paying me for my time here. That's my co-op, that they want to stop paying me. So I was like, what? You want to stop paying me? They said, yeah, we're going to pay you for even the one week that you've already worked. And then we're going to pay you for the remainder of it, uh, the duration of your co-op. Um, for me, that moment was a moment of acknowledgement of you are supposed to be here. You are intelligent enough to be here. You know what you're doing to be here. You know, that, that moment was like, it's worth all the sleepless night of me thinking, I don't think I can ever work in accounting. I don't think I can, you know, I don't think I know enough to be able to, to work in that field. You know, that moment was, it was worth every single minute of the stressful schools and tests and everything that I've had to go through. The sleepless nights of my tax class. That's, you know, I hated at first, then I got to love it because I did it so much that I understood it. And that was tax season. And just my, and I think the reason they completely complemented my uh, tax knowledge a lot because they said, uh, you know, you're coming in as a student and you're doing fantastic solving tax problems that CPAs were solving and, you know, being able to have conversations with them in an articulate level that allowed them to know that you understood the content. So that what that's for me. That was one moment that I was like, I, I was kind of like, I felt invincible after that day. I felt that like I I almost doubled my number of returns that I was completing because that was you're doing okay, you're doing great, and this is an acknowledgement of that. And I went on to do more. Um, so for me, that was a life changing uh, situation and moment for me, just from a career perspective. Yeah. You know what I think. I think after an hour and 30 minutes, there's no better way to end this episode than with that story that <laughs> summarizes literally how to be invincible. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So, John, thank you so much, man, for, for taking the time to yes. be a guest in the first episode of the show. It was literally just a leap to the emptiness for me. And mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you've, you know, given a lot of interviews, but I think it was a good experience for both of us to, to be out yes. there, to have this conversation, to record it, and hopefully give people some value about certain truths and just a push up, right? So John, thank you so much again. Anything else you would like to say to our audience before we close it off? Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity, Wizam. I, you know, I know that this is, uh, it's like a thing in the works for us. We've been 
we've talked about it. We've talked about, you know, this, this kind of things needs to be recorded. We, we need to write a book, you know, but I, I think with technology and the way technology is going, this is writing a book. This is um, putting our stories out there, our experiences. And not saying that I am the, again, the, the genie or the, 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 you know, the master of all of these things. I, I'm still learning five months down the line, five days from now, I will learn something new. And it is it is a constant learning process. But I think one thing that I learned, um, even I would say one thing my fiance always says is she strongly believes in role models and mentors. Mm-hmm. Strongly believes in it because she she feels that if somebody is your mentor, if someone is telling you, someone you choose a mentor that you admire their success, and the person is kind of walking you through the process of what you need to do, how they have succeeded, and you can bounce ideas around with them, it is extremely powerful because they are walking in a path that you want to walk in. So it's always good to bounce ideas around. And um, if there's something that will leave people with is uh, take care of yourself. There's no two ways about it. You take care of yourself. Like you have to take care of yourself. And in whatever I do, one of the things I enjoy the most uh, about how I care for myself is I know my body, like more than anything. I, I know my body and I listen to it. So take care of yourself, be able to do certain things. Sometimes I'll, uh, you know, Rizam is saying, oh yeah, he looks fit and all those things. Sometimes I feel fat and I just be like, all right, <laughs> for me not to feel fat anymore, I need to go exercise a little bit more. I need to commit, you know, religiously devote, devote some time to rigorous workout on a daily basis. Exercising is something that that is, you know, very, very good. There's something that you told that I will leave, I'll kind of circle back to before I end here is that when you were so down, you went to the gym. (laughs) You went to the gym and you were working out 30 minutes in, you didn't even realize, even when you told that story, the power of exercise and how exercise opens your mind. You went to the gym and while you're working out, you saw people playing. If on a, you must have driven, you must have walked past that field every day and not notice that this is a passion of mine. This is something I can do. But you went to that is the power of exercise and wellness. If you take care of yourself, you take care of your mind, it allows you to think of things differently certain times. And exercise, I, in my opinion, helped you see that situation as an opinion, as an opportunity for something different. hundred percent, man. There you go. I, I didn't even see that. <laughs> John, thank you so much for being in the Truth Is Allowed podcast, my friend. You'll be invited again. This won't be the last time. Yes. And I love it. Thank you for sharing your, your truth with us. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the Truth Is Allowed podcast. To celebrate this amazing step, I'm giving away one free book from David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. The only thing you have to do is follow our account on Instagram. You can see the account in the description of the episode. It is Add Allowed Truth. That's the account on Instagram. You have to follow it before the end of the year and you're automatically participating to win that book. Best of luck.